we will be continuing in the Gospel of John in chapter 17, to which we can arrive at the Master's Priestly Prayer, where Pastor Jason started off with verses 16 through 19. We've now arrived to the latter portion of the latter portion of the prayer uh, to which we arrived at verses 20 to 23. Next week, I will come back and finish from 24 to the end in providing the conclusion and the summation of the prayer. But here now, as our master continues making his desires known as to which he is making a shift but really, in essence, the shift is not really thought of with the way people would want to assume it to be. The only reason why I say that is because with verses 1 through 5 in his introduction, he laid the foundation. And as Pastor Jason has showed from verses 1 through 5 with verses 6 through 19, he showed that consistency to which the pastor speaks of. Again, he continues it here is just the audience has buried. To which our Lord prays as we continue by verse number 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the word may believe, the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. And so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you on this Sabbath day that you've given us, Lord, and we are mindful of this Sabbath day to which... You have allowed us to be here and give that affection and adoration to your son. It is to this, Lord, as we take in this new caveat in his prayer, we want to take it with open eyes and open hearts, with childlike love, to consider what he has desired. But then also it shows what he knows will come to pass. And so for this information to be made known to us, Lord, in this day and age, may it be and it show to us the courage and confidence, knowing that indeed he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And indeed, he continually intercedes on our behalf. St. Christ, was holy and precious name we pray. Amen. After offering her prayers, specifically for his disciples in verses 6 through 19, the master now extends his desires to encompass the broader scope of the world, but in particular, the entire body of the church. Aptly, he desires that those who hear and believe in his disciples' message will understand that they too will experience the same salvation that is granted for every believer, whether you are an officer or layperson. By verses 20 to 21, we actually have a complete thought, but it is broken in two suppositions. We have in verse 20, the expansion to include all believers, and then 
By verse 21, there is a unity that is to bound them together. The same aspect is seen by verses 22 to 23. We have the complete thought, but is broken again in two suppositions. By verse 22, we have the benefit that Christ gives to all believers. And then these benefits, by verse 23, embolden them to unify. Now, I do not have a introduction. So what I'm going to do and preface this particular exposition is take each supposition as their part, but then I will come back and I will show how they work as one complete thought. Therefore, to begin by verse number 20, the master states, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You see, upon the master's desire to encompass the whole body of believers, he takes to pray for the sheep. And here's what's significant about this particular desire that he's making mention of. He's making mention that his message be safeguarded in the cares of those who are tasked to advance the kingdom for upon their work being only a vessel to what he has called them to do where they see the growth of the kingdom at every opportunity they have to speak to the world. Note again, I do not ask for these only, considering the apostles, but for those who, those coming towards the message and listening, who will believe in me through their word. Upon the expectation of the apostles going out to preach the gospel message, only is it then that the master then lays down the groundwork, the field, so to speak, to see the growth of those coming in. Now, we weren't privy to this in John because we've noted and seen the disciples closely accompanying the master. In fact, there were many miracles, and at every instance, John made a point to indicate at which time they were to be in the individuals involved. But let's not lose sight. They were sent out prior to spread the gospel. In Mark's narrative, following their calling into which the master calls them out, he granted them authority over unclean spirits and sent them out two by two. This is seen in Mark 6. 7 through 13. In Luke's depiction, he adds on to their authority and he says, cure diseases. And they saw success. In fact, in Mark's, uh, Luke's account, Luke writes, they departed and went through the village preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Luke 9, 1 through 4. But then in Matthew's account, the master is providing a clear and distinct instruction. And he has particular outlines that I want to bring to your attention. It reads, do not go on the roads to the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Clean the leopards, cast out demons, 
Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold, silver, copper for your money belt, or bag for your journey, or even two coats, or sandals, or staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, pay back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you leave that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. Matthew 10, 5 through 15. If you recall when I was here, I made mention that the audience, and particularly in John, exhibited different variations in regards to their relations to the church. I explained to you of those who resided outside the church universal. I showed you as to which the master would speak with those who reside inside the church universal, whether it is mainland or nomadic. But then also there are those who reside in the church universal, but considered to be invisible. For again, only the master knows who is his own. So even during their initial dispatch upon the, upon the master's call for them to go out, shown in the Synoptic Gospels, the master still maintained the consistency to which I showed you with how he wanted his message to be perceived with various audiences within the concept of their relations to the church. And he is safeguarding the message. But why would he do so? It's because, as we noted, after the disciples have now embraced his teaching, especially with the way that we see the intimacy that John shows the disciples with the master in those final days, then it makes sense after three and a half years of seeing him perform miracle after miracle, after work, after sign, after the master resurrects and ascends. Only then is the field ready. And he wants them to understand that they are to be empowered to boldly and freely go out, not just to the house of Israel, but the world has now been prepared for the message. What's telling? And again, I tell you about the impact of the resurrection. And the master makes a, pro a proclamation that sometimes get underestimated. No longer will the ruler of this world be able to deceive them. I brought you synoptic gospels. He told them where to there to go. But then as we're going to see upon his resurrection and ascension, the whole world is ready for harvest. The harmony is found within the master's own words. In John 10, 14 through 16, he indicates, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not of this fault. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. John 12, 31 to 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be casted out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. John 14, 29 and 31. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world know that I love the Father. John 16, 4 through 11. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. But concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So is it no different now when he comes to the highly priestly pair? And particularly when he's praying for his disciples, he uses such words as when I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. He stated, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. I gave them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Very telling. He knew the entire plan. And though they were dispatching to go, because they were just following their master's command and over the authority to do this down the third, only then could they see it just be concentrated in a little, little venue. Could they only imagine that the world was going to be prepared to receive their message. Again, the word was going to be expanded and the master was prepping the field with the apostles to take good care of it. And he spoke to them at an earlier advantage, explained to them, what is going to transpire? Recall in John 4, 31 to 38, I won't read everything, but I'm going to bring some very detailed notes here. 
the disciples, after the master spoke with Samaritan women, implied him to, Rabbi, eat. But he responded to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? But the master responded back, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. By verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving rages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and that the reaper may rejoice together. What better way to assure the church by including all the disciples of the gospel to which Calvin adds here, he now, in his prayer, as he ranges, gives a wider view to which he hether not had he hether to include the apostles alone, but now he extends it to all the disciples of the gospel. So long as there shall be any of them to the end of the earth, this is a remarkable ground of confidence. For if we believe in Christ through the doctrine of the gospel, we ought to entertain no doubt that we've already gathered with the apostles into his faithful protection so that not one of us shall perish. And segue now to verse 21, the second supposition continues from the thought, but to which we're now to see the impact of this expansion, unity. To which verse 21 reads, that they may all be in one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Here the master desires the apostles to convey to the world what the master will accomplish. You see, the church will operate as one unit, as one thought, just as the Father and Son is united as one thought. In harmonizing verse 21 to verse 20, I discern that the Master is outlining the care he will provide for the church. We note and believe he pledges to preserve and support them. Therefore, after calling the apostles, praying for the apostles, these individuals, as we've seen through the expansion of the church, is the inaugural inaugural administrators of the new covenant. They in turn appointed others to new roles because the expansion was to foster the unity of the church to the end of the age. Now recall the master emphasized that the, the sheep will know my voice and that the father in the son will come to the sheep and make their abode with them. For as much is in their proof of what fruit they will bear. It's telling that upon this fruit, they will see others and share a commonality. 
Now, it's amazing that the extent to which the master goes to bring upon this union, especially as he's preparing for his departure, he gives context to his disciples, mostly, most notably the apostles, to prepare. We're going to come to it in John 21, 15 or 17, when Jesus, after resurrecting from the dead, speaks to Peter. And at three different instances, he tells him to feed my lambs. He tells him to tend to my sheep. And lastly, he tells him to feed my sheep. For you see, unlike the old administration, whose audience, again, resided within the mainland. And if they were nomadic, they traveled at various instances of the time of the celebration, whether it's Passover or various feasts. The apostles were now commissioned to spread the gospel to the world, and that's what the master is telling us, and he's praying for his desire that they be successful in that. From which the message does not change, but it's explained. From the initial time of the departure, they stated the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 28, 19 to 20, the master then commissioned them to baptize in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Within the Levitical priesthood, they too were given assistance. These were called the Levites. Within the apostles, they too were given assistance. This is where we note the commissioned officers of deacons. The first seven are to account. Stephen, a man of full faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip and Procurius and Nacher and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Acts 6 verse 5. And though despite they have had initial challenges and tribulations the new officers and administrators under the care of the apostles effectively propagated the gospel and they facilitated the task needed to spread the gospel and grow the church acts 6 verse 7 it is now crucial especially to see in this difference in aspect of the master's emphasis on the unity of believers, they may all be one. For as it, people will have it, he starts a work and he's going to complete it. For everyone who comes to the faith will be united as one in the spirit through the message. For it was first given by the son as he's the head of the church. And then through the cessation of times, it went from the apostles to the prophets, then to the evangelists, and now to the pastors. The harmony is 
that's captured in the master's own words. From John 10:16, he notates that I must bring sheep who are not this full and they will listen to my voice. Noting here in the prayer, his desire is what is going to happen and he swears by it. I do not ask for these only, but I also ask for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be at one, just as me, just as, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they may also be in us. And note what the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, writes in Ephesians 4. <laughs> because he takes great care in understanding his master's own words. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But even he notes, grace was given in a different measure of Christ's gift. That's why from verse 20, I make the emphasis, yes, he's including those are the laypersons. But in God's workings, he has order. There is a hierarchy. There's a sense of rule and decorum. And these individuals who stand up here have to understand to what safeguard and great care you've been called and what has been entrusted with you. Paul continues, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To what end? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus, of the Son of God. We don't do this for our own health. In fact, I'll tell you something now, and I love that Captain brought this up. Even if this room was empty, we were still commissioned to be here. And he would have been here. Because our understanding was that we were called and entrusted to do God's work. 
We love our lay people. But the church is not yours. It's Christ. This became more and more eye-opening here. And Christ has given individuals and entrusted them to carry out his word. Those who don't do it well, they get called out and they get shamed on and put out. But those who do, even though they may not see numbers, he's listening and he's setting the footwork so that when someone out of the rare chance of the blue comes to you and said, hey, I heard your message and you may have never seen them a day in your life. You are impressed because it wasn't you who did it. It became a reality to us standing up, up here that God was doing the work. Paul continues to mature in manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, which with it is equipped when each part, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That was just the first two verses. We transition now to the second thought by verses 22 and 23. And I'm going to still keep this same theme. But here, the master denotes that he's giving the understanding as to the benefits to which they will be given by verse 22. But then, for upon understanding you receive these benefits, you should still be emboldened to unify. By verse 23, the master emphasizes that those who follow him will share in the glory given to him. By verse 22, it states the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. It is essential to know that this glory is distinct from the specific workings associated with him being Christ the mediator. So the glory that entails his individual honor, his accreditation, all things that's uniquely assigned to him, that remains separate. And they're not even parallel and something we can even touch. But the glory conveyed here is aptly associated with the shine that engulfs Every believer, once they've been justified and definitively sanctified, the image of Christ. I think that term gets thrown around too many times. You see, notably in scripture, the apostles implore the church at various instances to put on Christ. Romans 12, I'm sorry, Romans 13 verse 14 but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify his desires. The believer initially goes through a transformation and they can't see it with human eyes, nor feel it, nor smell it, 
or touch it. So it can't be made to the human senses. But what takes to this image being engulfed and it shines forth in the believer is because after receiving a new heart, a new attitude, there lies in a happiness because you assented to a knowledge that you've been reconciled back to God. You have been made anew. And all of a sudden, upon your attitude and your workings of life, do you think differently? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Hmm. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them, ooh, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But note by verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants. This is Paul speaking as an apostle, knowing what the master pray for, seeing that when they go out, they find his elect, Christ's elect, God's people. They're only but servants for Christ's sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your heart, in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How much more that when you've come to the faith and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and your attitude changes in your behavior, this is not where you can just say once saved, always saved. Progressive sanctification is necessary. How much does now the master who is living and make continued intercession for you when you speak with the Father, which an honor you did not have. Individuals in the Old Testament could not have until he split the veil in two. That he presented you, Christ presented you to the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Colossians 1.22 Calvin makes an astute note that there is a common glory shared with us with the master. As human beings, we are made of the image of God. Christ, the God-man, is signified by being the eternal word of God in human form. But the distinct glory to which Christ is speaking of and has given us is that when God loves the Son, he loves you as well. Does it all make sense now to when the master speaks of, when he's speaking to his people invisible, in particular, those who believe this and operate and do what he says, 
Does it ring a little differently? Or do you see the harmony in when he spoke about my father to his sheep? And spoke about the love that he will have. In fact, remember in chapter 16, he spoke about the nuance in the prayer. And towards the end, about not, they didn't ask anything yet. But they will be. They'll be able to. They'll be able to speak to the Father. That's the glory to which Christ is showing. He's telling them. He's telling them. Calvin denotes, Our happiness lies in having the image of God restored in a form anew in us, which has was defaced by sin. But Christ is not only the living, the lively image of God, in so far he is the eternal word of God, but he even on his human nature, which he has common with us, the likeness of the glory of the Father has been engraved so as to form his members to resemble of it. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, or by the uh, um, exact Greek, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this glory comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Though it seems that we've solidified the earnest of Christ's desire that the church operate as one body, now we must understand the gravity of the work. For from this glory will they now be emboldened to unify. The term or verb emboldened, it means to give someone courage or confidence to do something or to behave in a certain way. The master prays for those given into the word, for by the care of those entrusted to safeguard with it, those believing have been transformed and renewed by taking his image. They're not tied together by bloodline, but they are tied because they operate with one thought, to do the will of the Father. For the Spirit of Christ will be in them, I in them. As exemplified with the Son being accord with the Father's will. You in me. So, as we approach with verse 23, It is telling. It is show. We see the Father and the Son being of harmony, and they're perfect because they have the same will. So now let's break this to, to the believer. If indeed Christ is in you, or the believer as a whole, they will have the same will, will with Christ. And when they come to other individuals who want to do the will of the Father, 
I have a couple of ideas or what those characteristics will look like so you can see this unity. Again, they will be emboldened. Matthew 12, 48 to 50. You will cut all ties because the only tie that matters most is those who are of the faith. The master states, who is my mother and who is my brother? And the master, stretching out his hand to his disciples, said, Here are my brothers and my sisters. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. We find then we pray as one body. It supports other in union. Praying to God's will to see Something take effect at the desire of the church. Philippians 1.19, Paul writes, For I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. We take to the blessings in the sacrament of God as one body. So we eat, we break bread, we pray as one faith. First, 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a, a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. No segregation. No indifferences in that matter. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it denotes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, though are many, there is only one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we all are baptized in one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. I also included um, the remaining verses on to verse number 20, but because of time, I don't have time to read it all. But coming back to John 17, I did not notate with verse 21 in this particular notation about the world. Because the reference was also made in verse 23. So I saved that little slot to bring it down here. But the reference in this in this particular notion is one and the same. Jason brought it up. Well, here is the thought flows nicely. And I want to keep it within the adage of the unity that is understood of believers to which the master is desiring and will accomplish. This unity, as compared to the humanists, I'm being nice, is so profound when we operate as one unit, the master's words will ring so much true for our faith, but the humanist, who has never picked up a Bible, let alone heard the word spoken, will be witnesses that indeed the Father sent 
the Son. That Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he walked on the face of this earth and accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish. Now, here's the caveat. To those who purport Christianity, again, that was probably being a little mean. Let me be a little bit nicer. To those who have found themselves to expand this sense of grace to the whole concept of the world entirety, which means those who are claiming to be in the faith and those who have nothing to do with the faith, they think grace has been bestowed onto them. So naturally, that's technically a schism because you got two binary operations at foot and in their thought process, they seem to be uh, one. And they can even use this concept with verse 21 and verse 23. The world may know that you sent me. And 23 even goes further. It states, and love them. You see, if they just read it, that it's the world. And that he loved them. They will run. And the Arminians now have a great fight to the reasons why they say in John 3, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world. All of a sudden, their argument has flooding. Again, continuing in John 3, by 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. See, it's this part Petitioning of words to bring out certain feelings because it makes them feel like there's this God who is all loving. But you know, the God who said that I'm going to cast out the rule of this world, that does not sound like loving language. To them it's not. To us it is. Because in him coming to do that, When these men go out to preach the gospel, men and women and children and families' lives are being saved. And this is the reason why these individuals who like to take this context and run with this aspect that God's work became null involved because other individuals did not embrace Christianity, they're not being honest. And they made him out to be a liar. So, as good Presbyterians, what do we do? As someone who's uh, taken to this and calling, we always try to equip you to make sure that you're able to withstand and defend the faith. Now, there will be a different time in, in, in uh, peace to which when you can go ahead and be on the offense. But nonetheless, again... When individuals will bring this up and try to convolute the situation with God's love to expand to the whole world and include the reprobate, let's just pump the brakes and tell them, well, why would you stop reading at verse 17 of John 3? Why don't we read verse 18? Because if you were being honest and took the Messiah for what he said, he will go on and explain, whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
who does not believe in him is condemned already. You can't use the term already for a particular event to their lack of belief. And then, when you return back to verse 9 in chapter 17, Jason brought it up well. It's noted here, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours. Now, taking that, if I just read to you 21, does it make a little bit more sense if I go straight from verse 9 to 21 when I say that they may all be one? Just as you, Father, are in me, and that I in you, and that they may be in us. Does that ring a little bit differently? And then, taking into verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one. And when you transition so that the world may see, but in this aspect may know that you sent me, you will know that I love them. It hits differently. Hits differently when you take in consideration the audience, church universal and invisible. The master showed it in his walk of life and how he spoke with individuals as we saw it in John. The master dispatched his own 12 not to go outside Israel to convey, to convey the message because the harvest was not yet set. But being a good priest being the priest, it shows within his own in the harmony to which he takes that his truth must come out because he has to do the will of the Father. I mean, as it come to a close of verse 23 with the words to them, I love them even as you loved me. This love harmonizes with the way the truth of the gospel was going to be revealed. Paul even goes to the extent of telling you the mystery of it. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love. Verse 5. He predestined, predestined, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The master denoted in John 10, I am the good shepherd. 
I have sheep who is now this fold, and I must go out and get them. In Matthew 12, and also in Isaiah 42, and particularly Isaiah 42 verse 1, it was noted in the Old Testament, the expansion of the gospel to the entire world and to seek forth to bring unity. And, you know, because my time is cut short here, I hope this reads differently now when we could take into consideration of where we are as Christians. Because of various denominations, the world may see division, but the church universal and invisible, they are always unified because of the head. It impresses me that when we have individuals come in, we always want to hear their backstory, where they're from, how they came into Christianity. Why do we ask for those intricate details? Because we want to further edify them. And when pastors receive individuals and new members, what does that even mean? We don't want to fill our pockets because of money. Somebody's coming here and God may be calling this individual to this particular locality because he seeks that this person gets fed and tended to just like he told Peter to tend to his sheep. It hits differently. It really does. And it saddens me that individuals would take to such atrocities to find a schism in God's truth. I find it sad because with every new Sabbath day, your faith should grow. And be it as it may, Taking to our sermon today, our master, I'm telling you, he's telling the truth. I mean, let's, let, let me keep it to some sort of relativity because when I was last here, especially when I started with the first, first five verses, I want to be able to show you because Jesus said it very well. If you take the first five verses into account, you will see the harmony with verses 16 through, six through 19. The same thing is being done here is with verses 20 to 23. When I was last here, I told you that the, the master is executing and showing how he's going to execute the office of prophet, priest, and king. And after taking to what we learn now with verses 20 to 23, does it ring true that how he operates as a prophet, he reveals the whole will of God to the church? He promised this, didn't he? By John 15, 15, he said, I don't longer call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Yes, he's telling this to his apostles, but he's telling his apostles, I'm going to make known the word of God because like he told Peter at the very end, I need you to feed my sheep 
Because in John 10, I'm the good shepherd and I have to go get sheep that is not here. In executing the office of a king and bestowing grace to his elect and visibly governing them, did he not pray at verse number 20 that when his apostles go out, the people are ready to receive the word to show proof that they are indeed his sheep. Note here some harmony. Jeremiah 31, 15-17 And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and bring fruitful in the land in those days, declare the Lord, they shall say no more. The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to the mind to be remembered or missed, and it shall not be made again. <laughs> At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall gather to it to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. So then considering what he prayed for in John 17, and particularly when it expanded at the entrustment of the apostles giving the message at verse number 20, read Acts 2 after reading this with Jeremiah 31, 15 to 17. And note the harmony. But then lastly, in executing the office of a priest, and being that he is of the order where only one who possesses the indestructible life can hold to that claim. He makes continued intercession for them by praying to the Father on their behalf. Swearing and vowing that he for all in all will devote his care and diligence to the salvation of his elect. We'll get to that more when we return. Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. <clears throat> 